I think that there are many times when we read Scripture that we get confused because there are tensions in Scripture. Scripture, like life, is complicated. That is, there's a yes and a no on so many issues. There's a, there's a radical middle that you have to find. And one of those areas has to do with what we call separation. You know, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see that God is a holy God separate from sinful humanity. And God calls a people to himself, and those people are to be separate from the rest of the world. And yet, at the same time, this people, the Jewish people, who are separated from all others, they have been called to minister to the world as well. So the separation is qualified. They are to be different. They are to be separate. They are to be a holy people, faithfully following their God. They're not to be like all the other nations. They're to keep some boundaries between themselves and the other nations. But at the same time, they've been called by God to be a blessing to the nations. And the problem that Israel so often had was they couldn't keep, they couldn't keep to that radical middle. There were times when they... They wanted to be just like all the other nations. They lost separation. There were other times when, well, they didn't want anything to do with the nations. They saw themselves as the holy chosen people of God, and they wanted to cut everybody else off. They had the truth, and no one else really mattered. It's hard to be in that place where you know God has called you, and you are separated from others because of that calling, and yet you're not called to hold yourself aloof. You're called to serve. You're called to minister. Seems to me in the world in which we find ourselves today, that's the Christian calling, that we're called to be separate and yet engaged. Not of the world, but certainly in the world. And trying to keep that center place where everything has its proper place, that's not always easy. And so you'll find some Christians that say, you know, we've got to engage the world. We've got to make connection with the world. Before too long, they look just like the world. On the other hand, you have Christians who say, the world, it's lost. And we don't want anything to do with it. And they end up becoming part of this sort of Christian subculture that seems so disconnected from everyone else. So when people on the outside see the church, they think, that's weird. I don't want that. So once again, there's that, that question of how you find the radical middle between those two extremes. Both truths are important. That is when we're talking about separation. God does want us to be separated from the world, but God also wants us to engage the world. And how we do that's really very important. Now, when we think about religion, if I can use religion with a capital R, when we think about religion, it very frequently makes the mistake on the side of separation. It sees what's going on in the world, wants nothing to do with it, and wants to come back into a holy huddle and basically leave the world to go to hell, literally. That's the way religion so often functions. And Jesus had to deal with that in his ministry. He was sometimes completely misunderstood by the most devout and seriously religious people of his day because of the way he related to people who didn't know God. 
And I want us to read a passage in Matthew chapter 9 that speaks to this. If you've been reading along with the rest of the congregation in our Bible journals, then you've already read this passage and reflected on it. But let's read it again. Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 9, it says this. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's a fascinating passage. First, Jesus is walking in through Galilee. He's coming to Capernaum. And he sees Matthew sitting at the toll booth. He was a tax collector. Probably he was of the the group that would collect tolls as people would transport them from one place to another. Now, I don't have to tell you that tax collectors in all times and places are not people anyone likes. I mean, who, who wants somebody to come and collect taxes from them? But in first century Palestine, tax collectors were despised as few others. They, they weren't allowed to testify in court. They were regarded as as you know, just reprobates, people who had abandoned all decency. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One, as a group, they tended to be very dishonest. They actually made their money by overcharging people on their taxes. They weren't paid to collect taxes. They had to earn a little commission by overcharging people. And that's what they did, and you can imagine how people felt about that. But then also, directly or indirectly, they were connect, collecting taxes for Rome. And the Jews hated Rome. Rome was an occupying power. And so these tax collectors were traitors. So they were despised. And a common stock phrase was tax collectors and sinners because tax collectors were sinners. By definition, they were regarded as sinners. But the phrase tax collectors and sinners also takes in, to, takes in you know, the reprobate of all kinds, the derelicts, the, the deplorables, the people who are outside the norm, the people who have failed morally, the people who are scorned by decent society, the kind of people that you keep your children away from. Tax collectors and sinners. Matthew was one of those, a tax collector and sinner. So here's Jesus coming by. We don't know what kind of contact Jesus had with Matthew before this. We don't know what Matthew knew about Jesus. I think it's significant that here in Matthew's gospel, we're not told any of that because all the focus is on one thing. Jesus summoned Matthew and Matthew immediately got up and left not just his sinful life, but he left this lucrative business. He left it behind once and for all because there are plenty of people to take his place once he did. So he leaves that and begins to follow Jesus. Now, what kind of Messiah calls people like Matthew to follow? 
Matthew is a disciple. He's going to go out and teach others on behalf of Jesus. What kind of Messiah calls someone like that? And while we're at it, what kind of Messiah will go to Matthew's house and hang out with his friends? Because it appears it was Matthew's house into which Jesus went, and Matthew calls all his friends. And if you're a tax collector and sinner, what kind of friends do you have? So he calls together all these people and Jesus sits there with them. Actually, he reclines with them because this is, this is like a, a feast that they're enjoying. And he hangs out with them. Now that was a scandal. In the first century in Israel, to sit down and eat with someone was to suggest an intimacy and friendship beyond the ordinary. So when Jesus is there reclining at table with Matthew and his friends. It's as if he's saying, I belong with you people. We're together. We're friends. Wow. That's not what you'd expect. And it certainly isn't what the Pharisees expected. Why not? Well, the Pharisees read their Bible. And you go to the Bible, and what do you see? God is a holy God who's separate from sinners. The whole temple worship was constructed to convey that message that you cannot simply walk into God's presence. Not when you're a sinner. There has to be all these ritual purifications before you can enter into God's presence. God is separate. God is holy. What does it mean to be holy as a human being? It means to be separated to God, separated from sin and committed to God. So this idea of holiness and separation, it's right there in Scripture. And the Pharisees saw that and said, you know, we want to live separated lives. That means we need to be rigorous in obeying the laws of God and we need to put up a barrier between ourselves and these others that aren't serious about God. We don't want to hang around all these sinners. We want to be devoted to God. Now, I don't know where you might be in your Bible study, but if you go back and think through the Old Testament or next time you are reading through the Old Testament, just observe how often that theme of separation comes forward. This isn't something the Pharisees just pulled out of the air. It's there. The question is, with this truth, is it the whole truth? Is something important being missed? And the answer is yes. Separation in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament is sometimes important. That is, Christians need to pull away, form their own community, worship God by their own scriptures, not participate in the sin of the world. That is important because of our weakness, because of our own susceptibility to sin. Because we have to be strengthened in the scriptures, strengthened in worship, strengthened by fellowship with one another. But if we leave it there, we just become this little huddle of pseudo-holy people. And that's not what Jesus was doing. You see, there's also this element of crossing the boundary and going to people who are on the outside. Not judging them, but loving them and serving them. 
So the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, how can you be eating with tax collectors and sinners? And what Jesus says is, look, the physician has to go to the people who are sick. So I'm going to those who need me. And of course, he's bringing a message to these people. He's bringing gospel, good news to them so that they don't have to remain spiritually sick, so that they don't have to remain in their sins. He goes to them in a ministry of mercy. The doctor's not going to just go to people who are well. How absurd would that be? You're going to go to those who are sick. And he says, that's what I'm doing. He said, the reason you don't understand this is because you have forgotten that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. That is, all the sacrifices are fine, but what God really wants is for your heart to be changed, your heart to be filled with love, and for you to show mercy to others as he's shown mercy to you. You don't understand that. And he says, what you don't understand is that God has sent me to call not the well and the righteous, but the sick and the unrighteous. And if you put yourself in the category of the spiritually well and the spiritually righteous, well, that leaves you out, doesn't it? Now, of course, he's using the language of the Pharisees here. They're not really well. They're not really righteous. But he's using their language. He's turning the tables on them. He's trying to get them to see there is good news for the sick and the sinful. There's good news for them. Jesus comes and brings the good news. There's no good news for people who think they don't need God. They're the ones who are excluded. You want to talk about separation? They have separated themselves from the grace of God. Talk about a turning of the tables. That's not what they expected at all. But Jesus is telling us that God in his holiness is not simply distant from sinners, but this God in his holiness is also loving and it's in his holiness that he crosses over into our world and reaches out to us and seeks to redeem us. So is there a place for separation where, where we, we say, you know what, we're not going to participate in what the world does, what the world says, how the world lives. We're not going to do that. Of course there's a place for that. It is essential that we maintain certain boundaries because of our own weaknesses and our own tendency to go astray. But we should never let that become a self-righteousness where we start feeling holier than others, better than others, where, where we're quick to condemn others. We must never do it and lose sight of the fact that, that people need gospel and God has called us to bring gospel. So we want to be different, but we also want to be engaged we want to be separated to God, but it's the God who himself <clears throat> reaches out to sinners in love. That's the God we want to represent. And so that's what Jesus calls us to here. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. If we are going to follow Jesus Christ in our day and in our time, we have to keep in mind these two mandates. One, we have to be a distinct people. We cannot be like the world. 
And two, precisely because we're not like the world, we need to reach out in love to the world. Not just joining in, but bringing medicine, bringing gospel. How in the world can we reach anyone for Christ if we don't want anything to do with them? And what are we called to do in this world except reach people for Christ? It's so important that we begin to reach out and take people in and let them be part of our lives and love them as they are. Now, if, if that connection puts you at risk, that's a separate thing. Somebody who, who struggles with an addiction shouldn't go out and hang, hang around their friends who use. That's just putting yourself in harm's way. And if you're not strong, you shouldn't be doing that. There are other things that, that you need to separate from. So remember, we're trying to find the radical middle here. But the purpose of our being here is to reach out and it's to love and it's to go beyond boundaries. Now the world needs that, don't you think? I am just shocked by the new tribalism that over the last 10 or 15 years has been growing and growing and growing. All of this dividing up of people, whether it's by their color or their ethnic heritage or their, their you know, political affiliation or whatever. We're, we're separating up into tribes now. And people, they, they hold on to their tribe and they attack the others. And they defend their tribe no matter what, no matter how wrong. I think it's very hard for any of us to completely escape that. It's so much part of what's going on. But as Christians, we must, we must, we must escape that. It is absolutely vital that we don't join in with the world in this. We are the ones who represent a God who crosses over to sinners. The way I put it in the first service is it's like you got a line drawn in the sand. This is how the Pharisees saw it, by the way. There's a line in the sand. And God crosses his arms and he's waiting for sinners to repent. The Pharisees believed sinners could repent and be saved. They believed that. But the sinners needed to repent, step over that line, clean up their lives, and then God would receive them and forgive them. So there's this line, and God and the righteous are on this side, and all the tax collectors and sinners, they're on that other side. That's how the Pharisees saw it. The way Jesus saw it was, here's the line. God is on one side. There are no righteous not really. They're all on the other side. So God sends his son, Jesus Christ, to cross that line. Jesus is God with us. God for us. So God shows his, his distinctiveness precisely in not withholding grace, but crossing the line to us. And so that's the kind of life we're called to live. So all these lines, the boundaries that people are setting up today, there's so many of them, and there's so much anger and hatred and misunderstanding, so many boundaries. We as Christians 
following Jesus need to cross those barriers and see people not by what they're presenting on the outside, but knowing what's in the heart. Sin troubles every human heart. Every heart, every person is troubled by sin. Jesus Christ is the only, only solution for sin. He is the only physician that can heal it, that can change it. So if we could become a little less boundary respecting, a little less judgmental, and enter into the life of people in order to show grace, what a difference that would make. What a difference. How many of you have heard of St. Patrick? How many of you, number of you have? Okay, it's not a real good showing, but I know everybody online has heard of St. Patrick. You've heard of St. Patrick's Day, right? St. Patrick was a remarkable man in medieval uh, Great Britain. He has a remarkable story, um, but let me, let me really condense it down. Um, the church early on won many people to Christ, and eventually the Roman Empire became accepting of Christianity, and, and actually at one point Christianity becomes the official religion, you could say, of the Roman Empire. By the time that happened, the zeal of the church had begun to wane. And what became known as Latin Christianity, Latin because it comes out of that Roman area, and they spoke Latin, and it's Latin culture. Latin Christianity kept trying to preach the gospel to these pagan unbelievers through Europe. And the pagan unbelievers weren't listening to them. They couldn't convert them. Many of them early on were converted in Europe, but they had lapsed back into paganism. And as they tried to evangelize in the area we now call Great Britain, they weren't successful there either. And here's why. This is very interesting. There's a, there's a, a wonderful book called The Celtic Way of Evangelism that describes this whole process. What they tried to do was to get these pagans to be more like themselves. That is, they were Latin Christians. They're part of this Roman tradition, and they wanted them to convert to Christ by becoming like them. Because, well, they were such great models of Christianity. And these barbarians, that's what they were called at the time, these barbarians wanted nothing to do with it. So many in the church, in fact, most of the church leaders in the Latin church pretty much figured that you couldn't win barbarians to Christ. What you had to first do was educate them, teach them Latin, teach them some culture, and then they would be able to hear and believe the gospel. So you had to change the culture, and then you could evangelize. Didn't work out so well. Then St. Patrick comes on the scene. He was a man who went through some very deep suffering. In fact, he was enslaved for many years and came to know Jesus Christ. The long and the short of it was this. He started leading others to the Celts, and they would set up a community by a Celtic town, and they would start building relationships with the people in that town, and they would begin serving those people. And they would welcome them into their own community. 
and welcome them into their friendship or their fellowship. The idea was this, that they must belong before they will ever believe. They must feel like they're a part of us before they'll hear the gospel from us. And so they started reaching out to people and, and including them and, and come join us. And yes, we'll join you. And they started forming these friendships. And you know what happened? You had all these Celts coming to Christ. They didn't learn Latin. And they didn't pick up the culture that the Latin church leaders thought they had to pick up. But they found Jesus Christ and they were converted in huge numbers and all through Great Britain. And then Patrick and his followers started sending missionaries down into the European continent. This area that had once been, been converted largely and then lapsed back into paganism, they sent missionaries there and they reconverted Europe. I mean, not everybody in Europe. You understand what I'm saying. They... they they were successful in spreading the gospel. It was all because they were crossing these cultural boundaries and they were, they were loving people and making people felt like, feel like they belonged before they actually believed. That's a remarkable picture of what Jesus is doing here in the passage that we read. You know, crossing those boundaries, loving people, hanging out with them, eating this meal with them. That wasn't just inviting people to church. That was, that was just getting to know them. That's how we can reach people. Now, I am all for being actively engaged on cultural issues in the United States. I'm all for that. Please don't hear me to say that I'm not. Remember, you've always got to be in the radical middle. It's not here. It's not here. It's there. So I'm all for being actively engaged. I'm all for being actively engaged in politics. But you know what? We're not going to win America quote-unquote, win America by, by trying to change the culture so it'll be more friendly to the gospel. It's the gospel that changes people's lives. We need to begin to befriend people around us, ignoring the barriers that other people build without judgment, without a self-righteousness, none of that smugness that sometimes attaches to religious people, we become friends and we, let, we make people apart before they believe. It's very important. Anytime our community comes in contact with other people, they need to, believe, they need to belong before they believe. That is showing Christian truth even before speaking Christian truth. Does that make sense? Renee, I know it makes sense to you. I mean, this is your heartbeat, right? In fact, you were talking, Jesus is eating. You were telling me, gosh, it's probably more than a week ago because you took a vacation. <laughs> but right before this last week, you're talking about just the, the, the power of eating together, of that fellowship. He doesn't have a microphone, but he's nodding his head. He's nodding his head. The power of just eating together, of connecting that way. It's a powerful thing. It's what Jesus was doing. He was eating with these people. We can reach people today for Jesus Christ just like any other time. I know there are a lot of people who think it's impossible, but it was thought impossible in medieval Europe too. 
But St. Patrick and those who were with him, they managed it. They managed it because they, they brought gospel and they lived gospel and they connected with people. They didn't just ask people to clean up their lives and become religious on the front end. Let's pray about that. Let's pray about, let's pray about our calling to cross those boundaries and minister to people in this way, to love them, to make them a part of our lives, to be friends with people who don't know Christ in the hopes that they will come to know Christ. And let's also think about this, that all of this depends on the God we represent, the God who doesn't stand aloof with his arms crossed saying, well, I'll have a minute for you when you straighten it up. He's the God who comes to us, not as a critic, but as a physician. So whatever you're dealing with today, God's not looking to, to add to your guilt. He's looking to free you from the guilt and to heal you. You don't have to find God. You just need to open your heart to him. That's the truth. Just open your heart to him. What a difference it'll make. Let's pray about it. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your grace is enough and your grace is real. It's real in our lives. It's also, Lord, something that you call us to bring to others. We're so quick to pass judgment on other people and sometimes, Lord, so quick to pass judgment on ourselves that, that we miss our God. Lord, you are holy. You are holy separate from sinners and yet by your grace you pursue sinners your holiness is not different from your love but it is, a, is a, an expression of your love and we thank you for that our prayer Lord is that you would free us as we understand more fully how deeply you care and we pray that you would free others as we bring to them what you have given to us. In these next moments, Lord, do your work in each one of us, we pray. In Christ's name.